of Ephesians chapter 6. You may not be aware of it. I think most of you are. But you might not be aware that we are and you are at war. And there is a war going on all the time. Now, I know that when you got born again, you were drafted into his army. Thank God. You were rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. This is a good thing. But don't be fooled into thinking there was no war until you got saved. There was always a war. You just weren't aware of it. And you really couldn't have done anything about it before you received Jesus. Because the, the Bible tells us that, that uh, the, the victory we have is in our faith. The victory we have is in him. So there is no victory outside of Jesus. He is our victory. He's won the victory. We know that he disarmed and disabled. It says in, earlier in Ephesians, it tells us that Jesus disarmed and disabled the forces of darkness. He made a show of them openly. He took, it, he took them to, to task. He paraded them out. He completely disarmed the enemy. And yet we still know there are battles to be fought and wars to be won. And uh, we, we wage those battles, we wage those wars by the power of Jesus. We wage those wars by the power of the Spirit. And this is something that doesn't go away until, until Jesus sets up his kingdom and, uh, and finally puts all these things under his feet. So as a believer, you're probably aware that there are battles going on. You're probably sensing them, you know them. But uh, one of the things that we've got to know is sometimes just knowing there's a battle is not enough. You know, if I just sent you to, if, if, if your government just sent you across the world on a special ops mission or maybe, maybe just as a plain old straight GI, straight infantry guy just showing up in the middle of nowhere and somebody's shooting at you, it's nice to know you're at war. It's nice to know you might need to duck, but it's even nicer to have a plan going into it. Not just be dropped off and say, hey, you're in Afghanistan. Hope you don't get shot. It's better to know what in the world am I supposed to do here. We have two extremes in the Christian world. We've got the extreme of people that just don't think there's much else going on. And let's just, you know, wait until Jesus comes back and it'll all be right. And they just kind of sleepwalk through life. And you've got another extreme of people that, that get so caught up in, in, in the mystical side of it that they forget that the war is going on. They, they get so caught up in spiritual warfare in a sense. Now, spiritual warfare is important, but they get so caught up in the idea of it being an invisible realm that they forget the invisible realm is working in the present realm as well. And there are things that God has instructed us. We don't have to go in and just figure out how to live life. We don't just have to use our best instincts. We don't just have to run into the world and try to figure out how to live. We've been given instructions from our king. We've been given instructions from the master. We have a, he's gave us his Holy Spirit too. If there's anything you need to know, he's got the answer. So as we're going to dig into Ephesians 6, I want to remind you that there are five chapters before Ephesians 6. Some of you are math majors, and that's something you already figured out in your head. For the rest of you, I'm just going to let you know there were five chapters before chapter 6. And in those five chapters, he starts out with just an amazing amazing exposition in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and even moving into 4, really telling you who you are in Jesus. First and foremost, telling you who you are. Because you really can't tell somebody what to do if they first don't know who they are. If you have an animal that doesn't know it's that animal, 
It's not going to know what to do as an animal. It's not going to act like it should act because it doesn't know it's that animal. If you've got a, if you've got a little child that think it's, thinks it's a dog, the first thing you've got to teach the kid is you're not a dog. I know that seems obvious, but you didn't grow up in our house. <laughs> so Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 tells you these are the riches. I pray that your eyes would be open, that your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the riches of his inheritance in the saints. He talks about us being raised up with Christ, seated in heavenly places. He talks about the body of Christ. He talks about the fact that every name that's got a name is under the name of Jesus, that every ruler and every authority and every power that's out there is under the feet of Jesus, and the feet are part of the body, and we're the body. And that's really good news. So before you know anything else, I am a child of God. I'm beloved. I'm righteous. I'm holy in his sight because of what Jesus has done. That's your starting point. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. This is what you've got to know. Then moving from there, you'll notice in chapter 4 and 5, he begins to say, because you are this, this stuff you need to lay aside, and this is the stuff you need to start doing. He says in chapter 5, you are light. There's a statement. He doesn't even just say you have light. He doesn't just say you know the light. He doesn't say you receive light. He says you are light. Therefore, walk as children of light. And Ephesians 4 and 5 are full of things where he says don't do this anymore because it doesn't fit you anymore. Keep coarse jesting far from your mouth. Why? It's not fitting for saints. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Why don't I just go and cuss up a storm? Why don't I just go and talk about nasty stuff all the time? Because I am a saint, and that's not authentic for me. That's not fitting for a saint. Let the world do what the world does, but that's not me anymore. Somebody might say, well, I need to, I need to seem more authentic to everyone else. So I need to talk like this, and I need to act like this, because I want to be real. I don't want to be holier than thou. I get what you're saying, but that's not real for you anymore. Because you're a saint now. Because you're holy. You're righteous. And so that's not authentic. You're faking it now. You're being something you're not. Nobody likes a poser. So here's what we do. We remember who we are in Christ. And then we say, how do I live as a saint? I don't try to work my way to sainthood because nobody could do that. doesn't matter how many nice things you do, how many good things you do. You could never be holy on your own work. But now that I am a saint, how do I work that out? How do I live that out? How do I walk as a child of light? So these are the, this is the setup. And then, of course, right there in the middle, in between who you are in Jesus, who you are in Christ, who, what the church is and the gifts that God's put in the church or given to the church, in between that and the spiritual warfare is sandwiched right in there Marriage and family. And I used to think that that was out of place. That was somebody, you know, he was just, the Apostle Paul just was kind of all over the place. He was just, mind was wandering. But that's not the case at all. First of all, we know he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. There's a reason for it. Second, we know that if you've ever been married and if you've ever had kids, you know that spiritual warfare and marriage and family, it works together, doesn't it? These two things play nice. We know that you can't possibly be a good husband if you don't already know who you are as a son. 
And I'm not talking about son to your natural father. I'm talking about your place in the family of God. You know that you can't be a good parent until you know that you are loved by, by the Father. You can't, possibly, you can't possibly do any of this stuff without knowing your place in Christ. So all of this leads us to the end of the letter. And by the time we get to the end of the letter, he's giving you some very important things that we need to walk away with. In Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse, uh, well, let's start in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, I know we know that verse real well. It's probably on a t-shirt somewhere in the back of your closet. But there's a reason that, um, there's a reason that this paragraph, this thought starts with this. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. It's a sad thing when believers start out, you first get born again and you realize, I have no hope except with him. Uh, there's no way I can get through this except leaning on Jesus. It's a sad thing when you get to be 20 years old in the Lord, when you've been serving the Lord for a while and you started to learn the tricks and the methods and you think you can do this on your own. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Anybody here believe that his might is enough? It's more than enough, isn't it? Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, we're going to see this phrase a few times, you will be able. And it's a beautiful phrase. And we've talked about it before, but it's a phrase that, that empowers and encourages me because I know that there are plenty of times when you look around, you don't think you're able to do this. You don't think you're able to handle this. You think it's beyond you, but you're going to see how he says here, you will be able. There's no ifs there. There's no maybes. There's no loopholes or clauses. It's you will be able to stand. You will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Do you realize what this means? This means that there is not one scheme that the devil can ever think up or ever plan or ever conjure. There's not a scheme on the planet which is able to knock you down when you put on the full armor of God. That's what it says. I mean, I believe this. But it says put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Now, I want you to know that everything we're about to read about the armor of God has been given to you when you got born again. It's not something you had to pay for. It's something that you inherited as a child of God. But you must put it on. It's not automatic. You got to put it on. Now, let me, let me just ask you something. Well, not ask you, but, but put this to you. Because we've read this so many times. This is not an unfamiliar section of Scripture to believers. You know this stuff. You probably could name it. You might have been like me. I, you know that I had the armor set that actually, the shield that said faith and the belt that said, you know, I had that. I had two of those sets. Because when your friends come over, you need somebody to whack with a sword. So you need two. I don't know if that's how they wanted them to be used when they, but come on. I mean, you can't expect to give a child, especially a boy, a set of armor, and a sword, and say, this is just for show. No, that doesn't work. So, so it got a little roughed up. It stood the test of time, I think. 
But maybe you had that. You remember, you remember the shield of faith, the belt of truth. You, knew, you know all these by heart. And thank God for it. But I want you to take it seriously. Some of us have just glazed over this and forgotten that this is stuff that lives out in your real life. This is not just, I, you know, my, my grandmother uh, was a wonderful lady who loved the Lord and was a powerful prayer, uh, prayer warrior and an intercessor. She was somebody that really um, put, spent a lot of time fighting battles that no one else could see. Doesn't mean she was crazy. She was completely sane. She was fighting battles for somebody else. She was interceding for other people. But she would say in the morning, I put on the full armor of God, and she'd go through it all. But you know, if that's all she did, that wouldn't do her much good. Just saying, I'm putting this on. Because if as you read this, this is not just, let me put this on, and you're in putting on invisible things. These are real things. You really need truth in your life. You really need righteousness. You really need the gospel to be preached. These are not, this is not just something you can pray a prayer in the morning and you're fully clothed. This is walking through life. And as you walk it out, relying on these things, you will not just survive a battle, you'll win a battle. If you're in a battle this morning, you've got to know how to win that battle. If you're not in a battle, you are still in a war. And there's probably somebody around you that's fighting a battle that needs you. Look what it says here. Put on the full armor of God. So there needs to be a a point where you're putting it on. There needs to be you choosing this. Put on the full full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm and resist all the schemes of the devil. In verse 12, it says for our struggle, this is important, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And no matter how many times humans seem like the problem and people seem like the problem, they're not the real issue. Do you realize that the scripture says you were formerly in the domain of darkness? Domain means control. You were formerly under the control of darkness. Now, some of you had no clue about that. Some of you were were aware of it on some level. But before we knew Jesus, we were under the control of darkness. Now, what this means is there are people that you think are the problem that aren't the issue at all. They're being controlled by something. They're being influenced by something. And the real, the real problem is not the people. Here's what it says. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. Where? In the heavenly places. All right. So we understand that the heavenly places doesn't mean heaven. Right? When we talk about heaven, we're talking about where God, you know, dwells. But the heavenly places in the scripture is talking about this realm that you can't see. It's up there. It's not heaven. It's not earth. But there's a, there's a, a realm that we can't see and there's battle going on all the time. We see glimpses of it even in the Old Testament as Daniel was praying and interceding and an angel comes to him with a message that he had to wait 21 days for because the angel said, I was fighting against the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece and he wasn't talking about a prince like a a man. He wasn't talking about a, a human ruler. He was talking about a demonic force that was over these nations and he fought to get to Daniel. That's happening somewhere. And it's not happening in a back alley on some dark street. It's happening in a realm you can't even see. And most of you, if you really were to consider it, you know and you recognize that you've known at certain points in time something's going on. 
I don't know what it is, but something's going on. There are times where you're pressing forward and you know God is, is finally, you're moving, you finally submitted to God, you're running the race, and all of a sudden it feels like you're running through tar. And what in the world is going on? And all of a sudden these things start to come at you and it can't be a coincidence because they're all coming at once. Well, you know, that's an attack on you. It's interesting that the scripture calls the devil the enemy of our soul. It calls Jesus, he's the lover of our soul. And it calls the fleshly lusts, the, it talks about the fleshly lusts, I should say, fleshly lusts that wage war against our soul. So there's a whole thing of your soul, there's a battle for it, there's a battle for your mind, there's a battle for your emotions, there's a battle for you. And thank God we have the victory in Jesus. Thank God you're born again. Your destination is sure. But on this planet, you know that your mind, your will, your emotions are still being tugged on from all different directions. Look what it says here. Our battle's not against people. Our battle's against some forces we can't see. Now, some of you might just, you know, this just is kind of the reaction of many people. They read this verse and their eyes just sort of glaze over and it all just becomes one thing. Okay, we're battling spiritually. Too many words I didn't get. Sometimes when we get too many words thrown at us we don't get, we just zone out. We just go to sleep. But you need to stay awake here. I'm not talking about in the service. I mean, you need to be alert when you read this. Because if he says this is what your battle's against, and he says you're always fighting a battle, maybe it's important. I want to read you something before we go any further. Put a, put a finger or a bookmark right there in Ephesians 6. And I want to read you something from Romans chapter 13. We're going to come right back to Ephesians 6. But I want to read you this. In Romans 13, 11, he talks about love before this. And how love is the fulfillment of the law. And if you love, everything else comes in a line. And he says this in verse 11. Do this, in other words, love. Do this. Knowing the time. It's important that we know the time. It's important that we know the day that we live in. You know, there's a difference living in France in World War II and living in France in 1975. There's a difference. It's important to know the time you're in and what's going on all around you. And we know, as you look at the scripture, these, this time, from the, even starting from the day of Pentecost to now, but especially now, we are in the last days. We are in a time where there is great darkness, but there is great light. For knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. You know, there's death and then there's sleep, isn't there? You were spiritually dead before you knew Jesus. There was spiritual death. There was no life. That's why the Bible tells us that we had to be raised up. As he was raised from the dead, so were we raised from the dead. We were given life. Yes. But you can be alive and still be asleep. Oh, yes. come on, come on. You can even sleepwalk. And somebody look at you and think you're awake and you're not. Do this knowing the time. It's already the hour. Don't you hate when that happens? I woke up this morning realizing that I had not set my alarm. If you ever had, that feeling is a wonderful feeling. <laughs> it's not so bad on a Saturday morning, but a Sunday morning, that's a problem. I was five minutes off my alarm, so I was thankful that wasn't that bad. 
But uh, I remember as a teenager, you know, my phone ringing and somebody saying, are you on your way? That's a terrible phone call. It's not a phone call you ever want to get. <coughs> the phone call that you know, you've already, you've already slept past your time and somebody's wondering, will you be here in five minutes? That's a problem. So when you hear, he's, he's not saying, soon we should wake up. Hey, hey, guys, we should wake up soon. Come on, guys, it's, time's coming. He says, it's already the hour for you to be awake. This is it. This is the phone call that says, are you on your way? It's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. In verse 12, he says, the night is almost gone. Boy, that's good to know, isn't it? And the day is near. So what do we do about that? Do we hunker down and say, okay, guys, we just need to survive a little bit longer and we'll be fine? No, apparently not. If you can remember, for instance, in World War II, some of the fiercest fighting took place when the war is almost over. That's when the fiercest fighting is. That's when, when the enemy's on the ropes. That's when he fights back the hardest. The day is, the night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. He's talking to believers right now. Believers, lay aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He says it's time to wake up. Wake up. Stop sleepwalking. Wake up. I mean, do you realize how this city could be changed if every believer just woke up? Seriously. If 50 believers would get so on fire for Jesus that they wouldn't be afraid of anything, they'd be emboldened by his power, they'd be so in love with Jesus that they had to tell the world, if 50 of them would take to the streets, the city would be changed in a matter of weeks. There's more than 50 in the room today. And we got believers meeting all over the city right now that would join with us. It's time to wake up. Some of you are already awake. Some of you are in that rubbing your eyes period where you're kind of awake and you're kind of still sleepy. But let's wake up. He says, how do you wake up? You put aside the deeds of darkness. You stop, you stop doing the same things that people in darkness do because they're doing it because they're in darkness. They don't know better. We're in the light. It's time to wake up. Let's, let's lay aside the deeds of darkness and let's put on the armor of light. I love that phrase. Let's put on the armor of light. Then he goes on and he says, let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, not in sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Oh, see, you know, he starts out with some nice sins that us church people are all comfortable saying is bad. Oh, yeah, I don't carouse. I'm not sure what that is, but I don't do it. I'm pretty sure I don't carouse. Do I carouse? You don't carouse. You're way too old to carouse. I thought so. (sighs) I don't remember the last time I was drunk, that's for sure. Well, good. Oh, you know what? I'm certainly not sexually promiscuous. promiscuous. I, that's not a problem for me. Okay, well, well, you know, sensuality, well, I don't think that's an issue. That's strife and jealousy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Those are some church issues right there. But those aren't spiritual issues. The Bible tells us if you are 
walking in the spirit, you're walking in love. If you're walking in the flesh, you watch it. He says it in 1 Corinthians. He says it in Galatians. Every time he talks about the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit, and you have a choice because you are born again in the spirit, you're alive in the spirit, but you still have a flesh that should have been crucified to the cross, but we keep peeling it off just so we can use it for stuff. And he says, every time, he tells us that one of the red flags, one of the canaries in the mines that tells you that you're walking in the flesh as you're in a bunch of strife, you're jealous, you're bitter, there's factions being formed in the church. These are signs we're being fleshly. The signs we're being spiritual is we're, it doesn't matter what our differences are. We're growing closer. We love one another. We're not easy to offend. We're not jealous. We're not bitter. We let stuff go. We forgive. This is the sign of spiritual people. So while you might have just brushed off the drunkenness and carousing, I want you to remember we are of the day. It's easy to, it's easy to get, get riled up about sin that you're not tempted with. But let's remember we've been bought with a price. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are already righteous. Let's live like we are. And let's let the Holy Spirit continue to work on us and the Father continue to prune us so that we are continually looking more like Jesus. He says in verse 14, so he told you what not to do. In verse 14, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. Man, I love that. If you want to know how to live, put on Jesus. Just be like him. If you don't know how you should approach a situation, let's put on Jesus. Let's be like him. Let's put on his strength. Let's put on his anointing. Let's rely on him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. What's, what does that mean? The stuff your flesh wants to do? Don't give it even a thought. Don't give it a place. Don't give it an allowance. Don't give it a little home. Don't entertain it for a little bit. If, if you feel like, boy, it would feel so good to walk in a little bit of unforgiveness because I'm going to forgive them, but to forgive them right away feels so, mm, feels so empty. I want to feel good about this. I want to stew for a while. You've just given a foothold to that thing in your life. You know, I had a little book when I was a little kid. That makes sense, right? No, it's kind of a big book when I was a little kid. <laughs> Come to think of it, I've got little books now that I'm a big kid. I don't know how that works. But I had a, little, a big book when I was a little kid, and it was all about n- nursing a grudge. And it was this book where this, this kid had a little grudge. It's a little thing, and he should have let it go, but he didn't. And he started to nurse it. And it grew into this, and it grew into different stages. It became bitterness, it became this. And pretty soon, it got so big that he couldn't get it off him if he tried. And I remember thinking, boy, I don't want that to happen to me. So, I, you know, let stuff go. I, just, I didn't just let it go as if, well, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. You give it to the Lord. You give it to him because he takes care of it. Or... You go to somebody, like Jesus said, and you deal with it face to face, but you deal with it from a place that you've already forgiven them. This is a thing, this is a powerful thing as believers, but he says, give no provision to the flesh. Don't give it a little bit, don't give it an inch. Now go back to Ephesians 6. 
I, we, we know we're in battles and we want to win. If you're, if you're in a place where you understand you're under attack and you feel like it, or you're struggling, or even you feel like you're doing good, but you know that there are things, obstacles in your way to prevent you from doing what the Lord's called you to do, you need to know how to handle this. He goes on and says in Ephesians chapter 6, He says, therefore, he's going to say the same thing again. Take up. So he said, put on. Now he's again, he's saying, take up the full armor of God. Not just a couple of pieces. He take, take on the whole thing. So that you will be able. That's the second time he said that. So you will be able. You will be able to resist in the evil day. Now, everybody might think of this different, but let me ask you, what do you think the evil day looks like? He's not talking about the end of the world. He's not talking about the, what the world would call the apocalypse, even though as believers, apocalypse is, means revelation in Greek. So it's not really a bad word. That's a good word. But he's not talking about the end. He's not talking about um, someday when, when it all, you know, the armies gather in Armageddon. He's talking about the day you're living in right now. He's talking about those days. There are seasons in your life. There might not just be one day. It might be a whole year where you are fighting the most intense fight you've ever had to fight. Some of you might be in it right now. You might be, it might be a week, might be a day, might be a month, might be a year. It might be a season of time. But you might be in it right now. It feels like the evil day. It feels like I'm fighting and I'm fighting. I'm just not winning and there's all this stuff. Look what he says. You will be able. You will be able to stand firm and resist in the evil day. And he says, and having done everything. Do you ever feel like that? Like you've just done everything? <laughs> having done everything to stand firm. That's half the battle right there is just not giving up. It's not quitting, just stay standing. See, when you don't feel like you can throw another punch, when you don't feel like you got anything left, just keep standing for a bit. Now look what he says. Thank God there's more to it than that, right? Stand firm, therefore. Here's how you stand firm. Having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, so many times, that's how we read this. We just breeze through it and go, well, it's all the armor of God. But I'd like for us just in this brief time we've got right now, just to really pick that apart. Because it's not just one thing. It's a, it's a few things here that you need to pay attention to in your life. Look at the first thing he says. He says, gird your loins with truth. That's the belt. Truth matters. There is truth. There's real truth. The world might be chipping away at the idea of absolute truth. They might say it doesn't exist. Because when you, when you give up the idea of a creator, when you give up the idea of a creator that loves you and has designed you and knows you, and knows the end from the beginning, when you give that up, there's really no need for absolute truth because it doesn't matter anyways. Let's just survive. But when we know that God has created us for a purpose, 
And there is truth in the world. There is good, there is evil, there's light, there's darkness. Truth matters. And where do we find that truth? We find it from the very word of God. And he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It will make you free. It'll keep you free. So in this time, knowing his truth, relying on his truth, it'll keep your pants up, you know? Guys, this will work. Gird your loins with truth. Do you know what it meant when they girded up their loins? I mean, some of these soldiers wear these long, these long garments, these things that would, you know, keep the dust off their legs. And they'd wear these robes, they'd wear a tunic or something. But when you're ready to fight, you gird up your loins. You make sure everything's there so you can run when you need to run. You can be agile. You can move around. Gird up your loins with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we know as believers, the Bible tells us very clearly that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that he has become our righteousness, that all of our righteousness was as filthy rags, but he took our place and he gave us his righteousness, that we would stand right in the sight of God. That is the foundation. But the Bible also tells us to pursue. It says it twice. In, In Paul's two letters to Timothy, he says this, pursue righteousness, which means you are righteous, but you need to pursue the, the practice of righteousness. You know, First John says those that are righteous practice righteousness. What does that mean? If you are righteous, you live it out. And there's righteous people who do unrighteous things. And there's unrighteous people that do things that seem righteous. As righteous people, we need to pursue righteousness in our life. You know, it makes sense that that's a breastplate. Protecting your vital organs, keeping you. And you know, I think about the scriptures that tell us to keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles so that in the day where they slander you, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. You're going to be slandered and that's no fun. But if you live a righteous life, you pursue that righteousness in your life, those accusations will fall. Those accusations won't stand. There are, there, there's a witness that, that stands with you that you have been changed and you've been made new. So this is not just something in the morning you say, I oh, thank you, I have the breastplate of righteousness. You know, in the morning you might say, I thank you that I am righteous. But after that moment you got up to the moment you go back to bed, You need to walk that out. You need to let righteousness be part of your day. I need to be righteous. I need to live righteous. I am righteous by the blood of Jesus, but I need to live that out. That's your breastplate. That truth is your belt. In verse 15, he says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, it makes sense that this Preaching of the gospel is on your feet because that's where you, your feet take you somewhere. And the Bible is very clear that the gospel is meant to be taken. And whether you're taking it across the street, you're taking it to work, you're taking it across the world, we take it. And the scripture says, how beautiful on the mountains are those that preach peace and bring a gospel, bring the, preach the good news, proclaiming to people that their God reigns. This is beautiful. This is beautiful when we preach the gospel. And that is what our feet are are shod with. That's our shoes. Is that gospel, that preaching the gospel at every opportunity, sharing the good news, letting people know, proclaiming that our God reigns. Then he says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith. 
And he says, with that shield of faith, once again, this is the third time, you will be able to extinguish how many flaming arrows? All of them. Everything he's got. He empties out his arsenal. He's got nothing left, and you've extinguished them all with what? The shield of faith. Your absolute, your faith in God and his promises and his word, his covenant, that faith, that reliance on him being a shield that keeps you from every time. Now, where do you think those arrows are being pointed at you? Where do you think they're being fired at? So often they're being fired straight at your mind that you would start to doubt, you'd start to to fear, you'd start to worry, all of these things. But everything he sends against you, the accusations, because he is the accuser of the brethren, the accusations, the fear, the doubt, the worry, all of these things that attack you, your shield goes up and you're able to extinguish every single one of them. You know, back in, 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 in the time that this is written, you know, see, Paul's writing this most likely with a Roman guard next to him while he's riding. So this is quite practical, just looking, oh yeah. Although we know it's God breathed and the Holy Spirit inspired us, I'm, thank God there's a natural example probably right next to him. But in that period of time, a lot of times what they would do, and the Romans were known to do this, was that you would have special arrows. See, if you were laying siege to somebody and they were behind their walls or behind a barricade, you'd want to flush them out. So, so often you, you could get a special type of arrow, you'd put something on the end, and you would douse it in, in some sort of flammable oil or liquid that, that wouldn't just go out with water, that often it'd have to be smothered. And so you'd, you'd set that on fire, then you'd shoot that, and it would spread really quick. He's not just saying you block the arrows. It says it extinguishes them. It robs them of all their potency and power. And it says this, you're, you will be able to extinguish all of them. There's not a word somebody can say about you. There's not an accusation against you. There's not an attack against you that you can't stand against. And you can't extinguish. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you've been facing, whatever you will face, there's not a thing that they can send your way that you can't stand against. This is more than just an idea. These are practical. Live it out in your life. How am I putting truth on every day? How am I letting truth be part of my day? How am I letting righteousness be real on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. How am I putting up my shield of faith? And then he goes on. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation, thank God. You know, when Paul wrote his letters to the Thessalonians, they were wondering, what's going to happen? Are we going to go through tribulation? Are we going to be saved? Are we going to be rescued? And he tells them, he uses the helmet again. And he says that helmet is the hope of salvation. It's the knowledge that you will, you have been, and you will be delivered. And that protects your mind from all sorts of things. There's a whole lot of fear that can come in and ruin your life. You remember in Hebrews it says that Jesus took away the power of death from the one who had it. So that he might free those who through fear of death have been slaves all of their lives. Fear is slavery, especially the fear of death. And that helmet protects your mind. It protects all of you. It protects your whole body. Thank God for the helmet of salvation. Then it says, 
the sword of the Spirit. Do you realize every piece of armor he's named so far has been defensive? But we've not been called to simply be defensive people. Sometimes when we talk about this, we're in a war, we're in a battle. Sometimes we talk about this and we start feeling like ah, we're under siege and we start just saying if we could just survive it. And I've found that it is the most discouraging thing in the world when believers are going from battle to battle just surviving and they're just saying, if I can just get through this, if I can just make it through this, that's not how you were created to live. That's That's not how you were created to function. And it gets discouraging and depressing. And you just say, when will it end, Lord? Well, maybe what you need to do is counterattack. Stop waiting for the next thing to come and start taking the battle to the enemy. Maybe you need to wake up and start moving in the direction. And I am not getting on anybody's case because when you're in a battle, I'm in a battle. And we fight together. And you, sh- you are not blamed for being in a battle because most of the time, the people that are being attacked the most are the ones that are the most danger. They're the ones that are doing the most right. But here's the deal. If we just say hunker down, hunker down, survive it, survive it. If all of our prayer time is focused on all just stopping this stuff from destroying us, You'll be a depressed, discouraged Christian who's going to get worn out and is not doing much damage. Do you remember that Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know that the gates of hell are not a mobile thing on wheels that they wheel up to your gates and try to bash your gate with their gate, right? Right? So he's not talking about the devil coming and going, throw the gate at them. It seems if he says the gates will not prevail, we're the ones on the attack. We're the ones making headway. We're meant to be, and this sounds weird, but we're meant to be offensive. And I don't mean like we're offending people, although we will. I mean, we're meant to be taking ground. Jesus said the kingdom of God suffers violence, kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent will take it by force. He says, in another translation, it says the kingdom of heaven is rapidly advancing. Look what this says. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And a perfect example, if you need an example, the perfect example is Jesus in the wilderness. Three times Satan attacks him. That we see. I mean, he was tempted for 40 days. So I'm sure he was tempted with quite a few things. Because the Bible says he was tempted in everything that we've been tempted with. But three times we see him being tempted, and there are three big things. And every time Jesus comes back, it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Three times he responds with the word of God. Now, as a servant above his master, are we any better than Jesus? Absolutely not. If Jesus responds with the word of God, that's how we should respond. Do you see what he did, though? He didn't just survive the temptation. He wounded the enemy. He attacked. He came back. Guys, I used to do this. I know I've told some of you this. I used to just, there'd be times where where there a thought come in my head or some fear would come. And you know what? I just, in my mind, because I didn't want to be weird and talk to myself. So in my brain, I'd say, and this is all an inner monologue. I'd say, I resist you. I rebuke you, devil, in Jesus' name. You get off of me. I'm not thinking that way. And it dawned on me way too late in life that Satan can't read my thoughts. You ever look somebody at the eyes like you want to like blow their brain up with your thoughts? 
doesn't work. You don't go into a boxing ring and just go, ah. Satan can't read your thoughts. So many times, do you realize half, you know, like so many times we're resisting the devil. All we're doing is hitting a thought with a thought. What did Jesus do? Hit it with the word of God. Open your mouth. And use that sword of the spirit. That is the one offensive weapon we've got. It's the only one you need. And we make war on the enemy. Now, some of you might, not, might be uncomfortable with the idea, all this war and all this invisible stuff. And I know it sounds freaky and weird, but it's true. You know, Jesus spent a lot of his time casting demons out. You just can't get around that. You might think he's the greatest teacher in the world. How do you get around the fact that he spent a lot of time casting evil spirits out? You say, oh, well, I just didn't have the medical knowledge we have nowadays. There are probably people with psychiatric illnesses. You got to tell me how they got healed then. If he was wrong about the cause, then then I want to know how they got better. There are people that got better real quick and obviously better. So obviously he was right. And if he's right, and we find out that those evil spirits are still making trouble, even after Jesus is resurrected, when the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, those guys are walking around, i got to assume they're still making trouble now. Because the Bible goes out of its way to tell us that we're in a war with them. It's not imaginary. We're not like Don Quixote, just chasing around windmills and herding sheep. This is real stuff. But you don't just deal with real stuff. You don't just deal with this stuff. I mean, thank God for prayer. Prayer is your number one defense. But you don't just deal with it in prayer. You deal with it in how you walk out your life. Prayer cannot be replaced. It is so important. But this is not just a battle in your prayer closet. This is a battle you're going to run into at work. That's really where you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's really where you need to gird your, your, your loins with truth when truth is being attacked every time you talk to your coworkers. That's really when you need to walk in love when you don't feel like walking in love. It's easy to walk in love when you're praying for people. I'm talking about when you're out there. So the armor of God is not just something you're putting on in your bedroom. This is something you are living out when you go out into the wild. And in verse 18... He goes on, with all prayer and petition. So there's the prayer. With all prayer and petition. Do you know there are different types of prayer? There's prayer that you're interceding for somebody. There's a prayer of petition where you're asking God for things that you need. There's prayer, there's prayer when you don't know how to pray. There's, prayer. there's all sorts of different types of prayer. There's prayers of thanksgiving. There's prayers just of relationship with God. There's ministering to the Lord. There's communication. There's listening. And all of these are vital. And he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, we know sometimes in the Scripture, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14, praying with the Spirit is talking about praying in other tongues. And I believe that's part of this. But I also believe when you're praying in your own language, you should be in the Spirit. In other words, led by the Spirit. Not just praying out your best ideas or what you think should happen, but letting Him run the show. Letting Him set the agenda. Letting Him tell you what's important. Praying at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert. 
So this is talking about prayer right here. Be on the alert. Have you ever been praying and aware that you were on the alert? Like there was stuff that you didn't know was going on, but you knew something was going on? You see, you can pray a bunch of ritual prayers. You can, you can pray the prayer that your mom taught you and it rhymes and it's neat. But really what God is asking for is that we would be people that would pray out the will of God and the heart of God. That would fight a battle. And you know, this is a realm we can't see. So there are times where you have to rely on the Holy Spirit. In fact, at all times, relying on the Holy Spirit to set that agenda. If we just go to God, we talked about this last week, if we just go to God with the list of things we need, and we've already got our list, he's not really leading the conversation, is he? <laughs> there's a preacher, there's a pastor, I'm not going to tell you his name, but he brought up a very valid point. He said, he said, we go through all these counseling sessions and we'd spend three hours and nobody get any better. He said, I realize that counseling sessions, for 90% of the counseling session." He said, they were talking. I looked up in the dictionary, he said, what does counselor mean? Turns out counselor's the one that's talking. The truth is, people are just coming to a counseling session telling him why the Bible doesn't work for them. Well, yeah, for everybody else, but, but for me, I got a special case. I got loopholes. And he said, you know, the issue was, if I'm the counselor and you're the counselee, maybe I got something to say here. Now, there's a point where you need to listen, Yeah. But he's saying like, you know, you're not even listening to a thing I'm saying. And I, I find that we go to God in prayer. Remember, we were here one Monday night. We were praying for Israel. And there was a time where Israel and Palestine, there was a great deal of stuff going on. And Lebanon was involved. And there was just a bunch of things going on. And we just stopped. <laughs> because we'd all read on CNN or CBC or whatever. We'd read what was going on. And we all stopped and just said, let's just admit, we don't know what, to, what, what, what the fix is for this. Can we all admit that all of us, grade 12 educated as we may be, do not have the solution for the Middle East. But we know a God that does. So can we pray for the peace of Jerusalem without telling God how he should do it? Here's what God, here's what I think you should do. So we start praying our will into the situation. Can we submit to the will of God and say, hey, maybe he's got a complex solution for this. Maybe he's got a simple one. But he's got one I don't know. So there is an alertness in prayer where you are listening and then responding. I love Ezekiel 36. We've talked about this. I love Ezekiel 36 where the Lord says, here's what I want to do. I want to rebuild your walls. I want to replant your vineyards. I want to repopulate your cities. I want to build up the ruins so nice. These, these ruins that they've, they've been destroyed, they will be like the Garden of Eden. And he says, you don't deserve it, but I'm doing it for me. And then he says, at the end of the whole chapter, it's a whole chapter of these beautiful things that a loving God is doing to a, a, a rebellious people. And he's saying, I'm going to rebuild everything. I'm going to make it beautiful. I'm going to, I'm going to make it lovely. And then he says, these things I will let my people ask me for, and I will do them. You see what he does? He says, here's what I want to do. Ask me for this. I'll do that. That's how prayer should be. Lord, and many times we, he's already, he's given us this covenant. He's told us, this is what I want to do. So we go to him on his terms. We say, Lord. And there's times where, honestly, we don't know 
And we don't have a scripture that says, where should you move and what job should you take? But we have the Holy Spirit. And when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays through us. The perfect will of God. And there's also a big part of prayer, guys, is listening. So he's talking about alertness. Be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So our battle is not just for us. We don't just fight for us. We fight for one another. We fight in prayer. We fight in real life. We, 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 we raise up and bear with the weak. We lift up the hands that hang down. We make straight paths for the, for the uh, limbs that are lame so that they might be healed and not put out of joint. This is what we do. We're going to close with this thought. He says, with all prayer and petition, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and then pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. So here's how we do battle. We go with the full armor of God. Every part of it, we live this out. We pray it out, we live it out. We, we pray through this, we intercede through this, and we do it on behalf of one another, and we pray for people we don't even think need prayer, like a guy like Apostle, the Apostle Paul. Why would he need me to pray that he could preach a good sermon? He's the best preacher I know. But he's not just trying to preach a good sermon. He's trying to say what God wants him to say. If I could be a little selfish, here's where I'd insert me. Pray for me. And there's other people too. But pray for me. Because you might think this person knows what they're doing. This person's, well, they've been saved longer than me. This person's been doing, forget that. We need each other. And everybody needs the rest of the body. And I need you. And you need me. And as we walk through this together, I don't want you to ever in your life be afraid of, of what you're fighting against. I don't want you to ever think it's too big for me. I don't want you to ever think that there's something that I just can't understand, so I don't want to deal with it. Because three times he said, you will be able. You will be able to resist all the schemes of the devil. You will be able to stand firm in the evil day. You will be able to extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. You will be able. So you need to say, I will be able. I am able. There's not a thing thrown against me I can't stand against and defeat. None of you are in a battle you're going to lose if you stand. And if you fight, you win. The victory is already yours. It's already decided. The game is rigged. The only thing is, you got to stay in it. You got to use the stuff that God's given you. He gave you his righteousness. He gave you his truth. He gave you his sword. He put a helmet on your head. He put shoes on your feet. Now, why are you not using them? Use them. Don't be that goofball. Don't be like that teenager who December 22nd is still walking to school with no coat on because he wants to be cool. He's cool, all right, but he's going to catch pneumonia. Don't be that guy. Realize that God has equipped you for something. And I know it looks cool to walk in a burning building with nothing on. Well, not nothing on, but you know, like. 
But no fireman does that. They put on all this equipment because it all has a purpose. The axe has a purpose. The helmet has the purpose. The fire retardant clothing, all, the boots have a purpose. They all have a purpose. So don't be that person that says, well, I can do it. Your personality is not going to win this. Your willpower, I got to tell you this, your willpower won't win any battles for you. Your willpower will make you last a little bit longer than somebody else, but it won't win. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we'll be. And you need to recognize when you're under a battle. You need to recognize when there's a war going on. And I've said this to our team. I've said this to some of these guys before. I've said it to my wife. I've said it to myself. The, the times where, where we are, you know, it would just be easy to give in a little bit. It would be easy like, you know, how many times we've woken up on a Sunday morning and, oh, my, my body's not working like it should work. Oh, it would be easy for me to say, let me just call somebody else. I'll let them fill in. And I realize sometimes you have to do that. I'm not, telling, I'm not condemning you if you've had. But, you know, if you say, well, I'm a little tired today. I'm just going to do this. I'm a little tired. You know, I'm, the Lord, you know, has really been pushing me to go share the gospel. But, yeah, it's not a good month. The more and more it's busy, the more and more you let those things hinder you from doing what God told you to do, the more the enemy will use the same weapon because it works. The minute you stand up and go, no, 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 I don't care. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go on and do what the Lord told me. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. The minute you say that, you have robbed it of its power and it might be tough. But you know, (laughs) when it talks about all alertness and petition in the spirit, I know that sounds like we're supposed to just hear each other's needs in our prayer time. And sometimes that does happen. But what we also need to do is every now and then pick up the phone and say, I need you to pray for me. Please pray for me. And you're not weak for doing that. You're strong because we are strong together. Do you believe that you'll win? Do you believe that he already won? love you so much, and I know that there is nothing, 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 no weapon that's been formed against you that will prosper, and no tongue that's been risen up against you that won't be condemned when you stand. But remember this, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. We know to resist the devil, but don't forget, submit to God. When you're submitted to God, everything else comes into play. Amen? Stand with me.